From the Rodney Kiefery Podcast Network, I'm Isaiah Castilleja, and this is Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. In this special two-part episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0, Coach Tim Karen talks to us about how becoming uncomfortable with evaluations of performance is something to strive for, the light bulb moment that led to the idea of the muscle mentorship, and the benefits and science behind pushing your body to the limits. All this on part one of this episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. This episode is brought to you by Optimum Nutrition Athletics. After dominating the sports nutrition industry for over 30 years, the newly created Optimum Nutrition Athletics brings the same trust and quality at a great price. They've worked hard to put convenient nutritional supplement options in the hands of your athletes. Because of the increased demands, ON now offers their third-party tested NSF certified gold standard whey protein powder in 10-pound bags exclusively for their athletics partners. ON even released ready-to-drink cartons of their gold standard whey protein shakes for your athletes and coaches that are on the go. Colleges and universities across the country have partnered with ON to give their athletes the highest quality nutritional supplements and ON continues to deliver. They provide flexibility and affordability for all their partners. If you'd like to learn more about their expanding line of supplement products, or if you're interested in becoming a partner, contact ON's Rachel Kravitz on Instagram at ON underscore athletics underscore West, or email rkravitz at glambia.com. Welcome back to another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Today, I'm joined by Coach Tim Karen. He is the owner and co-founder of Allegiant Gym in California. Prior to Allegiant, he was the head strength conditioning coach at Army West Point. And prior to Army West Point, he was an associate strength conditioning coach at the University of Southern California. And he also had stops at Harvard, Georgia Tech, Mississippi, Springfield College, and Velocity Sports Performance. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Could you tell us a little bit more about your role at Allegiant? Yeah, so uh, it's it's my playground, so to speak, where you know we wanted to open up a concept that we didn't shy away from, one, hard training, but two, really smart and strategic training. And as we started to evolve and grow, right, like the market is so saturated in high intensity interval boot camp style stuff. Like, you know, and this is where I think is like, you know, as we want to cut our teeth as a profession, looking outside of our direct realm and learning more about things like business and finance and understanding what the market is. Right. And there was a really book, good book for me. And I remember always on the fence of like, oh man, what happens if this strength conditioning stuff was taken away from me, right? Like if I lost my safety net, so to speak, you know, you get fired a couple of times, you think about that more and more, or you just, you're just disenfranchised with the process, right? You just get motherfucked by your defensive coordinator going into the army Navy game. And you're like, well, what are my options here? You know, and 
I think this too of like, of like, it's easy to talk about and fantasize about owning your own gym. It's really hard to do it. So building up as much resources as possible and not just asking the questions that you already know the answer to, or asking the questions that, you know, you simply want to go in your favor to like solidify whatever thought process or bias you have in your mind, but reading resources that make you physically uncomfortable. Like, man, I'm, I disagree with this wholeheartedly or man, that's not right. And like books that I read that were just profound was the e-myth, you know, where I'm looking at this concept of what is my skill set relative to owning and operating a business. And I'm the worker bee. I'm the guy who's going to go out there day, start a day, set up, break down, coach, program, et cetera. But I have no skill set in marketing. I have no skill set in managing, right? And I was a head strength coach. And I'm saying that in a way of what the managerial skills of being a head strength coach are, which when you realize you're a head strength coach, you could be whatever form of yourself you want to be. You could control whatever you want to do. So if I'm interested in speed or if I'm interested in the weight room, like I can just say that's the only thing that we need to do. And if we have enough talent, it doesn't really matter, right? Like it, it really doesn't. If we have enough talent and we have a, a coach that's making good enough decisions that that mindset is never really going to be called, right? There's no objectivity to saying like, oh man, it's all about getting strong or it's, man, that strength stuff's going to be catastrophic. We should only focus on speed. Like whatever your archetype is as a strength coach, or it's like all about just being great energy and whatnot. Like you can double down on that as a head strength coach. And you can say that's the only way and you can make your staff mirror you or copycat you or like minimize their expertise you're never really going to be called out as a manager like you would be in a small business, right? Like at the end of the month, I get a objective readout of how good of I am as a manager every single month. Did I make more money? Did I lose? And you never get that objectivity and strength conditioning in college that are exciting in my experience, right? Like, or at least I can omit that or I can say, well, that's, that's noisy data. So I'm going to push that to the side, right? You know, like, oh man, numbers didn't go up or wellness and RP are going in the wrong direction, but shoot, the guys are, guys are loving training, you know, or get great feedback. They love the energy, right? So like that level of objectivity, that's uncomfortable, you know, and like seeing a PL at every month and decisions that you make, like that's really, really difficult thing to read and process, especially if you had some prudent or hasty decisions. And then the other side is the marketing and the sales side, right? So like, as you're reading through this, like, and you don't know how to do it, like, right, you're selling your program as a strength conditioning coach, right? Like you go on a recruiting weekends as a division one strength coach, kid comes in, you basically just give him this generic spiel, like at army, it like, it was funny because every single week I would get notes from the head coach of what to say. So I felt like I was just running through a list of things. Like here we are at the Malico Mara Dawkins Center. We do this, this, we improve body composition and body weight. We work down the list and like, I'm not selling anything. I'm just reading a prompter, right? Like I'm giving the generic thing. And then you ask a question like, Hey, my kid's been doing bodybuilding. I heard weightlifting's dumb or like dangerous. Like, great. Yeah, no doubt it is. And then when you get them there, I'm going to do weightlifting anyway. It doesn't matter. You know, like I, I find that process, like thinking what you're doing in that setting as, you know, like almost as like an illusion of, Hey, I'm doing managerial stuff. I'm doing sales stuff to a degree but you control a lot more of that and you're not held to a really high objective standards as you are in a small business, right? Especially in a startup concept. Like we came into an environment that again, like I said, is all boot camp, all high intensity interval, yoga, et cetera. Like you look at the market in terms of group exercise, it is zero scaled in terms of 
group-based strength training, like zero scale. There's one-offs, right? There's amazing gyms out there. Like, you know, the, 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 the great coaches that started their own collective thing. And then basically really made that special in that individual environment, but there's no scale, right? It's just in that little community. Like, so MBSC or Zach Evanash or like results fitness, or these guys that are really, really good in their deal, but they never really attempted to scale. And I, I just think about my mind of, you know, the McDonald's, like when Ray Crocs, like we got to scale this and like, like, no, you can't scale. This is this too, this is too, unique to us and we're the only ones who could pull this off and thinking about that right and that kind of sets up the the end goal right our goal is to have 50 gyms so now looking at it like the decisions i make it's not for one gym it's for 50 so to that like transgression of like all right well my role here it's figuring out what are my weaknesses and figuring out what are my strengths and then if i know we want to be like really differentiated and special you know i have to really focus on my strengths and understand that if my weaknesses are limiting factors either i need to improve upon those areas which is going to be a distraction from focusing on my strength or partner up with with guys who are really specialized in that area and really good who love doing what they're doing in that you know so like that that behind the scenes guy that you don't really ever hear of that guy who's just amazing at what he does or girl like you know, that person for me. So that was like the, the resource that I'm looking at. And then like another book was Sam Walton made in America. And I know it sounds like super cheesy, but like, and this like, it's almost like reading like someone's, someone's success story or like biography, but man, he got into such great insights off of like what made Walmart special and just started talking about like, why Walmart was unique, comparatively speaking, to all the other options between Target and uh, Kmart, et cetera. And they were just good at selling, right? Like, it's one thing to have cheaper inventory, right? I can, in one of the examples he talked about at one of his five and dimes, or he had like a Ben Franklin store, which is equivalent of a five and dime, was he went over, he skipped the middleman. He found out that pantyhose was going through a distributor. So he found out who was making the pantyhose, drove out to that manufacturer and said, I'll buy whatever you have right now and got back. And he's like, it was less about getting us at cost, more about how now do I sell this incredible inventory? He's like, so I completely reframe, right? So everyone thinks like, oh man, Walmart was ingenious for skipping the middleman. What they forget is that you have all this inventory. What do you do with it, right? Like, how do you sell that? And he always talked about, he's like, there's two folks in, in retail. There's folks that know how to sell and there's folks that know how to manage or operate in the back room. I can get that guy later. I can't get this guy in the front room. So I'm thinking like, could I sell our product? Like, Hey, Tim, I want to buy a membership from you. I want to buy digital strength training from you. I want to buy a muscle mentorship from you. Do I know how to sell that? Right. And I have my style, right? Like I, I, I'm, I'm pretty hard nosed and pretty aggressive. Like I know in my mind that this is the best thing for you, regardless of whether you know it or not, I don't have a softer sales approach. So it's like, I do really well with folks that are not on the fence. You're like, eh, I don't know. I've been doing this for a while. Like, as opposed to former athletes or clientele has been a part of like a college trans program. Like just give me your credit card and sign you up. Let's not, let's not bullshit this. And I have a partner that does a really, really good job. And it does a really good job of coaching up the rest of the staff of working with the clientele. That's not familiar with this or is not as much experience. And again, coming back to EMIF, but again, we have, we have a product with zero memberships and we have zero revenue coming in. We've invested 
quarter of a million dollars between a weight room and everything else in terms of we if you try to open up a gym business and you have no experience in business, nobody's going to give you a loan and nobody's going to give you a, like a, a very big lease. Right. So it's like, you know, you look at when you open up a gym, it's not like ready made. It's very rarely that way. If it is, it's it, it probably something went wrong in terms of it was the wrong location and no one could want it to go to it. So if we look at a place that's ready made, that's not going to exist. So you got to do tenant improvement. It's a huge expense. Right. And then if you've ever watched a homemaker of a show on home and garden TV, the ceiling joists are always going to be rotted. Right. The the piping's always going to be wrong. So you're going to have these hidden costs that you're going to have to fix. Right. And then then you look at like, all right, while I'm building out this fantasy factory, like I want this, this and this equipment. But, man, if you have you know no paint in the walls, that's got to take precedent. If you have if you have shoddy windows or things like that like these are things that you're gonna have to fix before anything else so if you're looking at it from the perspective of like i'm just gonna get every dream piece of equipment that I ever wanted well you know you have to do some stuff and then as you realize as you know what you get the relationships in college strength conditioning or even pro like when you're playing with house money it's a different experience but the more important aspect is they don't necessarily going to inherently believe in you. So you're going to have to either sell that manufacturer on why you need to get a discount because you're that special and you're going to be that good for them down the road because they're not going to give it to you. They're going to treat you like every other gym opening or every garage gym out there. You know, like it's such a small purchase order for them. Like they can't heavily discount it. Like if I was buying a million dollars worth of stuff, you know, I get better rates. If I'm buying 10 grand of stuff, you don't get those rates. And you think you're going to get that, right? Like you walk in there like, hey guys, what's up, man? Like we got a gym concept. Remember all that stuff we did with you in college? Like, yeah, cool, man. It's a $10,000 purchase order. It's nothing. You know, like uh, that's not going to, that, that's not doing anything for our bonus at the end of the year. So yeah, no, sorry, no discount. And as you're building that out and you're thinking about managing all this stuff, like, you know, it's a different managerial experience. So that like what Allegiant is and like what we do here, it's, I had to really sink my teeth into learning that because I wanted 50 gyms and whatever time frame that we did, we set out to do it. Originally it was 10 years and we've learned now that was pretty, uh, pretty aggressive. So we're going to lengthen up and this is a change that like perspective. So in terms of managing like, okay, well, how do we get enough stuff in here that's appealing and we can do our job and all the tools and on top of it differentiated, right? So if you do anything strength training related and you have a group of people coming in either from CrossFit or you have a group of people coming in associating with CrossFit and I have been very out there and saying that we're definitively not CrossFit in a multitude of ways. And when you take a hard line like that, you take away the only reference they have Right. So it's like, I have no idea what this is. If this isn't CrossFit then. So you're, this is just complete like novel. And like, I, if it's so good, why didn't it exist before? And it has in our setting in college transitioning, which is our standard, but that's not something people associate with group-based fitness. So in that level, and like, and I try to spin it of like, Hey, well, you're not buying a fitness concept. You're buying an organization, organizational framework. And what I mean by that is when you walk in, the thing's going to be set up. You're never going to beat me to work. You're always going to get coached in every single one of your sets and reps. You're always going to get direct and honest feedback on things that are going to put your safety first and your performance second. Things that you inherently know in a college setting because your job is on the line. You're buying that. And the program will buy just pure force of will and understanding what matters and then listening, leaning in on principles of training, you're going to get the results that you want. And my job now is how to 
explain that to our staff, articulate that to our, our coaches, have them go out there every single day and fight the good fight. Because now four years into it, you know, you think that you're, you're good, right? Your customers understand what the product is because they've gone through it. They understand why it's unique and different. But again, the goal is to scale. So that problem's coming back here, right? So we want to open up another gym this year. Uh, we obviously weren't able to. So pushing it back to 2021, that problem's still sitting there, right? We're going to have to start from scratch. And if I have ego and pride in this of like, well, look at my first gym. We have, we've reached a point of really good success. And the members really love it. So that should just parlay over. Again, it's going to come down to that guy reading E-Myth and going, all right, well, I got I got managerial stuff checked out. I'm good to go there because I'm a head strength coach. And I got three staff members under me who are amazing. And the team loves it. And the head coach loves it. And the athletic trainer loves it. Like all my, all my people here think I'm fantastic. It's not necessarily going to be the thing that can sets me up for success as we look to scale and having a beginner's mindset there of like, all right, I don't know how to manage this next location relative to the first one. I don't have, I don't have the sales acumen. Like it's a whole different market. Right. And like, who knows what the process there and who knows where he's got a foothold there. Like here there's honestly probably 30 gyms within a one mile radius. And like, I could throw a stone and hit five of them right now. And I don't have that good of an arm. So if we're looking at how competitive it is here, we really need to, we cut our teeth in a very hostile environment, but on top of that, you know, it doesn't mean that we've made it. And as I'm reading these books and you can throw shoe dog in there, you can throw zero to one in there. You can throw all these really interesting business books. And like, I think business books are like coaching books to a degree of like, eventually they're going to migrate to a very intuitive and uh, very obvious thing. Like I love Seth Godin, but like he's the John Maxwell or, or, or John Gordon of business books. It's like, I didn't need to read the book to really understand that. It's kind of like productive procrastination. Like you're just reading an obvious thing of like, you know, like, Hey, you know, you know, we got to work on marketing. You got to understand sales. Like, yeah. Okay. Get your pipeline big. Like it's stuff that you just look at from the perspective of like, I probably knew that. So like, if I spend my time reading resources that I'm already familiar with, comfortable with, or confirming, like I'm not really doing that. And that's, and then back to the original question is like, having that, having that awareness to know that like, I need to get outside my comfort zone and they need to push the threshold. I need people to be honest with me. I need people to, and it's not comfortable hearing it. I'm, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty set in my ways in a lot of ways, but if I realize something's wrong because enough people are telling me that like, it would be stupid not to change, you know, but I don't think you ever get that valid that you never get that transparency in a college setting because when you're bad, you justify the things that you're good. And I was asked about like, you know, culture on another podcast. I'm like, I thought we had a great culture where we were two and 10. I thought we had a great culture where we were eight and five. Like, I, I don't know. Like, what do you want me to say, man? Like, I, but I would say objectively, we didn't get the job done, you know? And like, I could sit there and justify that. Like, well, I did my job in the weight room, but two and 10 wasn't my, my, my responsibility. It was, it absolutely was. It just, I can distract that with, you know, just as much anything, as much credit as I want to take for eight and five and beat Navy. Like I can't take and sit there and cast the blame when it's two and 10 and losing a Navy for 15th year in a row. Same thing in a business setting. It's like, you know, I, I can sit there and say like, I'm going to omit the stuff that's not confirming of me being good. Right. Like, so P and L's weren't good or, well, you know, we're, you know, we've got some new equipment we've got some stuff. We're trying to enhance our product. You know, we did some staff education. So that costs money. And like, you know, we, 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 we had to do all this other stuff. So profitability wise wasn't there. Right. And like, 
maybe you look at it expanded out to a quarter or maybe you look at it expanded out to an annual and like you know but at the end of the day if the, if the micro doesn't match with the macro and you don't have an evaluation of like this isn't moving in the right direction if i don't start to recourse here and figure out my spending habits as well as you know what we're making habits and figuring out both ends we're really gonna struggle uh, so that's my role here and honestly like you know that autonomy that that man, like you open up a small business, like you are challenged every single day. Like there's, there's no like walking in like, Oh, business as usual, like sitting there drinking a cup of coffee on the sideline, like all good boys, let's sprint hard, you know, like there's nothing like that, you know, and like, you know, there's no like artificial creating like, you know, type of like uh, enthusiasm or, you know, I, I find myself when I got bored at in, like college and conditioning, like, you know, just picking fights, you know, and like, arbitrarily or, or like one person saying to me con like contrary and i'm like oh dude this is world war three right now let's go at this like i'm gonna win this one like and i found myself like being more antagonist and i found myself being more just just polarizing and i think that was just a sign of i was bored you know and i was really unstimulated and unchallenged and it's like going through the list of resources and books and whatnot like man i'm reading so much more complex stuff right now and i'm in such a more complex environment because i feel like like i'm that much under the gun all the time and that pressure for me it's like it's like when you're an intern and you're fighting to prove yourself right a five foot eight white guy with no redeemable like athletic ability right like there's nothing like i'm gonna walk into a college division one weight room like oh dude that dude's legit like no one's gonna say that about anything right like maybe i can do a pull-up more than a couple of guys but that's about it right like i'm never gonna jump high or sprint fast so there's no like this like or this automatic like pedigree right so i had to like really differentiate myself with really hard work and just being that much more prepared. And I find that like in turn, like, like mentality is the same as small business and like, you know, whatever job needs to get done, I'm willing to do, right. I'll get in here on Saturday at 5am. I'll clean the weight room because there's no other time during the week. Cause now we're so busy. Right. And I don't want to put that on my staff because, you know, like, quite frankly, I don't want to pay them to come in at 5am to do that. But two, like, man, I want them focusing on their job at hand. So as a manager, that's my job now, you know, or, you know, little things like scheduling, like, Hey man, like how many stuff changes, especially in the past six months of like on a daily basis, I was around someone who had COVID. So I can't work next two weeks. Okay, great. Scrambling to get someone in that, in that spot, you know, and like that process of like really understanding now my role and, you know, I still love the reading the hard stuff and I still love programming the challenging things and, and making it work in a commercial group setting. Like we're doing dynamic effort, accommodating resistance with a, just basically an age group, a sample size of 25 to 45. Like that's, that's not an easy undertaking. And I think I, I now like a lot of our staff take for granted that some of these folks are like really good lifters and they, they understand the concepts like that. Like we're going to do, you know, 612, or we've done wave loading clusters. Like we do really hard, complicated concepts with our members and I, I, they execute really well. And that like process of like, we spend hours going through how logistically that's going to work and how that's going to format. So when the person walks in, all they got to do is just move for an hour not think and we'll take and the rest will take care of itself and in turn at the end of the annual chart like and these results are speaking for themselves and i think that's why people stay uh, but that's my role here long story short 
definitely a lot of good stuff to unpack here. And can you talk about how you differentiate yourself from the the hit and the boot camp style workouts? I know I watched when you launched your muscle mentorship and you go a lot into detail about how you help out your members and it seems like the muscle mentorship is so much more than just a one hour traditional session where you just get a good workout and don't fix the problem. You just put a bandaid on it. The muscle mentorship actually seems like you teach your clients and show them the, some of the reasons behind why you do a, a few things. So it would seem like when they go on and do their own workouts, you help solve the lifestyle problem versus just a one hour quick session to get it over with. Yeah. You know, so our original story. Uh, so on a plane ride back from, I want to say Oregon state my, in 2014, um, they gave me the exit row next to Aaron Osmus and Mark Phillip. So if you know both of those guys, they're both over 300 pounds and I'm like squeezed in between them. So we're feeling pretty good. You know, like Mark is, always just down for just messing around, having fun and double A's love. He's just a strength addict. So, you know, I'm looking up YouTube, like, Oh, we could get internet on the plane. That's amazing. What a novel thing. So we're looking up YouTube and I'm like, man, let's look up some Tom Platt's videos. And, um, it came up and if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend watching it. It's Tom Platt's muscle camp where he just goes through this just absolutely psychotic. And like, you know, it's fear and loathing in the weight room. It's nuts. It's absolutely crazy. And, He's just doing like absurd things. I mean, like just aggressive pulsating on the hamstring, on the, le the prone leg curl, like uh, leg extension, just hyper extending, like using all momentum. It's just, but he's making these aggressive sound effects. So it's super loud. It's like, ah, ah, ah. And like double A's like, turn it down, man. <laughs> like we're on a plane with the rest of the team. And Mark's like, dude, this is hysterical. And I was like, it just made me think like, well, how did this come to be? There's like 40 people there watching him just lift by himself. Like, right. Like how did that manifest? Right. Did like Tom Platts have like a manager and like, Hey, I want to do like a, a, a workshop for how I do legs. Right. Like, you know, and he had these amazing one liners in there. He's like in the way he's in the squat rack and he's just going down and up. And he's like sitting in the bottom position. Have you ever seen Tom Platt squat? It's just, you know, it's, you know, the, the heavens open up and there's just light shining down on him. And he's like, you know, I was taught by weightlifters not bodybuilders, not powerlifters, weightlifters. And this is our sanctuary. This is where we go to Geniflect. I didn't know what Geniflect meant at the time. I'm like, that's, so it just, it started this like whole thing of like, wow, that's, how did that happen? Right? Like how do 40 people, 50 people just show up to this and watch him just do weird stuff to himself. Right? Like, and then like, you know, flash forward, I've done like all the Polyquin seminars and I've done a bunch of other seminars and like, the Polyco one, like level three PICP is like an interesting one because you get like exposed to strongman and your system development and you get all these trainers from around the world. And I remember doing PICP level one and two, where I met one of my now best friends and he ended up working with me in army. Will Greenberg, he was working from Preston Green at Florida. So we're the only two college SNC coaches there. And we started training together and the first PICP, they put this guy who's a computer programmer from uh, Lubbock, Texas. And he's like, I want to get into personal training. Like that's a big leap, you know, <laughs> like sure. So like they made us do six, 12, 24. And it, I remember it so vividly. We're doing safety squat paired up with leg press and hack and, uh, and then pendulum squat. And, uh, 
and we're going through it and you know this guy's never squatted a day in his life and i'm pretty good squatter and the will doesn't know me from another guy I'm like, let's go for it man let's have some fun you know let's train you know i came here to train like i slept eight hours i feel great this is kind of my pseudo vacation you know which kind of spawned like where i'll go into this and like what muscle mentorship is so you know i'm pushing it and i'm like you know get up to 140 kilos on safety squat and then whatever they could load up on the leg press and then i'm like put some weight on there for the pendulum squat like i don't want to go body weight like and this poor guy his, his name was benzene like <laughs> really nice guy i mean after set one he's throwing up and i walk over him and i was like hey man have some respect for yourself like finish up the workout you paid damn good money to be here i did too i'm not gonna lose out I'm like because you're just too exhausted get up and do it again so that was kind of like the the first thing. And it came back for PICP level three and like, we're going through strong man. And like, there was so many folks that just came up to me like, dude, I got to come out and train with you. Like I've never trained that hard in my life. And I, to be honest, like, I don't think I trained that hard. Uh, maybe I'm just so like, I just, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, desensitized being in college environments of like just nonstop, but like, you know, that's the intensity and threshold you probably should, you know, get to every single time. But like, there were so many guys in there like, man, I've never seen anyone train that hard. Like, I, I, you know, I've never done anything like that, like around you. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Like, that's the way you should train. Like you, you have an hour, you bust your ass for an hour and then you get out and you take aggressive amount of supplements so you can do it again, you know? And like, in my mind, I'm like, well, is there like, and then you think about it too. Now I'm in a sales position and like every time a problem comes up, like, right. Like a problem is an opportunity to sell something. Right. So if people are asking me the same question over and over again, and I start going, dude, I'm so fucking tired of answering this question. Like the dumb person would just push it off or just give a generic answer. I think the smart person would find an opportunity to create a product that fits those needs and fits those purposes, right? Problems are opportunities for something to sell, and at least in my commercial business, right? And so now you have like one, like this just intrigue and in Tom Platt's muscle camp into multiple experiences of working with not only just people who have no experience in strength conditioning, but two qualified international level strength conditioning coaches who have no threshold of training, right? They're in their private studio, they're doing their thing, they they just kind of go through these generic, like, you know, protocols with no intensity. So as I get here, like, and as it followed through, like, all right, well, can I create a product that's immersive? Can I create a situation where folks are really pushing the brink? And what I get a lot of questions on is how do I utilize this protocol in a setting? And I could walk you through like my mindset, but I think it's easier just to show you right? So you're a college transition coach, you work in team environments, you have no idea how to do a protocol, like, let's just say advanced German volume training or, or something else, right? And when I, I look at like, and I don't want to bash the book, but when I look at triphasic training, and I think, okay, French contrast training, how is that applied with a group of 30 people? What does that setup look like? right? Like this is hypothetical. This isn't actually tangible. And so I, I look at that book as a resource that's nice on paper, but what's the follow through? How can I execute on that? I can do that as a one-off with this one elite level athlete. But if I have a group of 30 and I'm setting up 30 bands or I'm setting up 30 stations, one, after the first day I do that, I never want to do that again. But two, it just looks like chaos, right? Like if you have six exercises that are all complex, all supersetted with each other, what is the execution on that? So what do we do? We water that down into maybe an A1, A2, right? And we take, 
all right, maybe I wanted a deloaded movement with a overloaded movement. Great. Okay. So we're back to complexes. We take stuff that we can do in a, in a group setting. And this is working with double A or Eric Ciano. Like I thought they were masters of the practical of, of whatever it is that we were doing. Right. So like their execution on the floor of having a systematic organized structured program was second to none. And I loved my experience with double A because I could program and I could do all the things that I want to do. And he would figure out how to utilize that in the group. So when we get to muscle mentorship, questions I get like, man, how do you organize this protocol in a, in a group setting? I don't have to tell you, I'll just show you. You're going to get to a rack with three other guys and we're going to organize it this way. Hey, we have more exercises in a small room. We need to, we need to do a little bit different uh, organizational structure, right. And going through that, right. So it's throwing the kitchen sink in terms of what we could do potentially programming wise. And then as we go through the other process of, Hey, I don't want to necessarily just pick things that I want to talk about, right? Like, I don't know you, I don't know what your needs are. I don't know what you're, you're maybe potentially like wondering about. So at the beginning of every year, the folks have ever gone through it. And we're about to like 30 now, almost something up to 40. Like we go, what do we want to talk about this year? What do you think I could bring value to you? So in a lot of sense, it's this extreme practical experience. It's raising a threshold. If anything, like, you know, we, we give you the full arsenal of every supplement we ever can give. Uh, Cause I fully believe that that's a great tool and asset to do. And if there's a level of training intensity that I can reach higher because of support from either supplements or potentially even modalities, we're going to use it. And then we utilize analytics and tracking through wellness RP. And then we have Nordboard force stack, all that cool stuff. So I get a lot of questions of like one, why are you doing force stack with jet pop? And then two, why are you doing Nordboard with jet pop? Let me show you. Let me show you how we do it. Right. Like, and you get the, I don't have time to do that. You absolutely do. It's just if information is important enough. And we'll show you how we do that in a setting, in a group setting, right? Like we got, we see our clients three hours a day. We don't want to spend more than five minutes a week on analytics, right? So how do we incorporate that? You know, and to that point of like, not only do I have that information, how do I interpret that information? Right. So we'll see it classically throughout the week. You know, day one, we'll go through everyone's feeling, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed. They'll get you know, love training. The next day, they're a little fatigued. Third day, a little fatigued. Fourth day, we see this Nord board. We see that force deck. We see wellness. We see RPEs drive up. Okay, what do we do in response to that? Right now, this is an overreaching. So we need to be in that zone. If we didn't hit that, I'd be alarmed. I'd be really alarmed because if we didn't do that, that means either we didn't understand what we were doing or we didn't execute on the intensity in which we need to do it. So right now we're in that really sweet, vulnerable spot, right? This is going to be the part where we're so in a negative adaptation. Like you look at the fitness fatigue that starts going up and then fitness can't recover. So fatigue starts to delay, delay, delay. All of a sudden we start to look at it from in order to get through day four, day five, we need to have a locked in mindset. We need to approach this and having some sort of governors, right? So what is our critical drop-off point? Like, do we, we utilize tender units or we utilize velocity-based training? We utilize load like rep ranges. And we say, if we're outside of that rep range, we or outside that velocity zone. Well, this is the transition, right? And where I think the value is, and we go through like practically of like, all right, there's two choices when you don't hit a rep range or a velocity zone, either you stop and if all the other stuff is just crap, that might not be a bad decision or you have to go lighter. I think the third one should be the quality of the movement, 
right? If the movement isn't up to your standards and then we'll go through of like, well, what is your standards of a lift, right? Like we don't use velocity-based training on a, on Olympic lifts because it's in reinforces straight line training where there's a natural S curve to weightlifting. And that's why I don't utilize it there. So my critical drop-off is, did you make the lift or not? And then as I start to look at velocity-based stuff with that, okay, well, here's why I wouldn't use that. But straight line stuff like squats, bench, great, use it. <laughs> that's amazing. And it can give you some really good feedback. But if I'm not hitting these objective num- numbers, I have to start making some hard decisions. And I think when we're in the setting and you experience that and you're going through the dog days of summer training with your athletes, and we did two-a-day training in Army, you have to learn this stuff. Like if I don't, people start getting hurt. I am pushing the boundaries of adaptation. And the rationale was we had five weeks of what they called military base training. They called it step one. So if they get back and on average, our offensive line and defensive line lost 30 pounds, our skill and perimeter guys lost, honestly, anywhere from 10 to 20 pounds. We're in a deficit that honestly, most people can never recover from. So we looked at it from, you know, with our inside the box guys, get their body mass levels up, get our skill guys, the tissues that they're going to need to run and change direction back up. So that first month is, is it could be looked at as just a complete like net loss, like, right. But I looked at it as like, we can expedite this by getting two a day training. And then as we get to the next phase, we're already behind the eight ball. We got to push into now this hard adaptation cycle to get ready for camp. And we looked at camp like it was a workload problem. It wasn't a uh, a movement pattern problem to a degree, right? So if we looked at the workloads we hit during camp through RPE wellness and, and external measurements like uh, or external measurements like GPS and internal measurements like heart rate, you know, the workloads we were hitting in training were pale in comparison to what we're going to hit during camp, right? And then that last year there, they dropped two a days. They just instead of doing a two two-hour practice they just did a four-hour practice right so now we're in a further deficit because that's extremely long and you know all this other aspects that go along with really accentuated extended out long practices like so when we looked at workloads like we looked at july as an opportunity to get that but we also need to be cognizant of the kid went out over the weekend or if the kid's just not doing well from a recovery standpoint this is so new this is a lot like one of the things that we learned in college two-a-day training is more opportunities to punish someone. It's more opportunities to screw up, right? You double your being on time and doing everything that you would normally do. So if you have that guy who shows up late once every 10 days, he's going to show up twice late, you know, and you're going to punish him for that, right? So like the the systemat- the systemic load of doing 50 up-downs or doing a 3,003 on the Versa climber, like that, 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 that accumulates, right? And then you go, okay, we'll go get in the workout. Like, oh, like, you know, real, real stuff, right? So if I'm watching him and he just did 3,000 feet in the Versa climber and then, okay, now we're going to go on to heavy squats and it looks like shit. Do I have some sort of, this isn't a good strategy right now. Here's my second option. Just go to gobble squat or, or, hey, we're going to go a lot lighter. Like you've lost the opportunity to use the load because you can't stay on that speed because you can't show up on time. And that balancing act between the two, man, that hits so hard in muscle mentorship because I've been in that situation. I've done this now 10 times over and where it comes down to, what do you do? It just creates a lot more organic questions that I think has a lot more residual value. And then tying it into like letting that lecture or that piece of, of what we potentially can talk about 
be reflective of the needs and wants of the person coming. Like, I don't know why you would come and hear me talk. Like, you don't know what I know, relatively speaking. And some stuff, I just don't know if I'm that completely of an expert in to teach it yet. Right. Like, so going into some of the areas that I've been trying to expose myself in, like, I don't want to throw that out to the world because I don't know if I'm fully competent in that, but you may think differently. I want to get where you're at on that right now. So I can understand that learning process. And then we start to build out a curriculum, so to speak. And the way we do our muscle mentorship curriculum, I think is unique. We'll tell them that five hours that we go through lectures in that week that we're here, that is the culmination of six to nine months of building up information. And we just simply use a Slack channel where everyone's on there and we just, Hey, like here's some topics. Like we, so we went through systems. So we use some, we leverage some in our current like environment, right? We talked about MBSC exos, talked about different nutrition ones like biosignature or bioprint. And then we looked at, uh, PN nutrition. And then we looked at other systems. Like these are all systems, right? These are all amazing systems. You looked at his models, you can look at his frameworks, you can look at his tools. How does that apply to your setting? What is your system? And then we evolve that into okay, well, how do we design a training program? How do we select the right exercise? Like, do we understand the physics that's going on inside of our body? And then when we choose an exercise like back squat or goblet squat, we understand the rationale. What well, this person's asymmetrical, the restrictions range of motion, he has poor thorax and pelvic control. What is the force going down is trying to organize his thorax into that pelvis? Oh, he can't get depth or she can't get depth. Okay. Well, what exercise can we get depth with and going through that? And that's, I don't expect everyone to know all these, I mean, really important topics in terms of hydrodynamics and physics, but what we do expect them to do is give them, expose them to that. So we talk about that in a lecture that they're building into it. Right. And, you know, whether they go through it or not, it's up to them. You know, they're coming into that lecture with a lot more, a lot more opportunities to get that. And like, I always looked at leaving a seminar and I, and when I got to a seminar, I like to look around the room and think like, this is either a group of people that I really identify with, or I don't. And the one example that I can just cite so vividly now is I'm an FRC seminar three years ago and everyone's doing acro yoga, doing like, you know, different postures and all these other stuff. I'm like, this is definitely not my tribe, but man, I left there going, I am so behind the eight ball on so much information. That just mentality of like, man, like if I knew everything going into the seminar, why would I go? Like I stopped going to CSCCA because I already know everything they're going to say. And I don't want that. I don't need that. And with muscle mentorship, I wanted people to be pleasantly surprised and, and really engulfed in the whole learning process. Like if you already know the information, don't read the damn book. Like you don't need to read a John Gordon book to know it'd be positive. You don't need to read a slight edge. No, do a little bit more, right? You don't need these books. What you need is concepts and, co- and topics that are scary, are intimidating, are going to put you so far out of your comfort zone. Like, I have no idea what this means. This is gibberish. The, the books that have like acronyms on page 50 that you go, I forgot what that acronym meant. Those are the books and concepts that we need to do. Right. And like, I know that's not like the standard thing. And I know that's kind of unique to me, but the folks that want to kind of mess with mentorship understand that about me. And hopefully I'm doing such a good job where I can distill it down. And, you know, Mike Boyle taking a really complex topic and make it simple. I'm not great at that, but where I look at that weak point of making something so complex or complicated and making it simple and easy to digest, I offset with, I'm going to go through the process of how I came to this conclusion for months in advance. So when you get here, it's, 
it's essentially going to be this product. And off of that, we have just chat rooms and forums of like, this didn't make sense. Okay. Let's walk through it. Like, you know, maybe I did it. Maybe I didn't really fully understand it and I didn't explain it properly. And then we can go through like the connection, right? The practical connection of like, here's why we'd want to organize weight room like that. So I want to get some sort of component of velocity, force or capacity or work. Right. So with that being said, is what are the exercises I can do? Increase duration of something, increase speeds of something, or increase loads of something safely, right? And what are the information that I have at my disposal? So if I have that guy in there or a girl in there that's really struggling with positions, that velocity thing that we're looking to do, kind of an obsolete metric, right? Like the motor pattern's not de- developed. So if I can get an exercise that can get high velocities safely and efficiently, then I'm going to do that. And I focus on that. And as muscle mentorships really evolved, it's, you know, it's that level of going back to that poor guy from Lubbock, Texas and saying, you need to train harder if you want to do this. But it's also going to the other guy from an international like country who's like thinks they're training hard, but also thinks they know a lot and saying, you know, you know, maybe you don't, you know, maybe you haven't exposed yourself to as much stuff. And at the end of that week, you know, we, we want to evaluate it by returning customers. Like, like, did they value the experience by wanting to come back and, you know, knock on wood, it's over, it's over delivering and under promising to its ex- extreme degree. And I'm a bit nebulous when I describe it. It's like, you know, it's just a hard week, you know, it's just, you'll, you'll love it. You know, like it's very, very nondescript. And at the end it's, it, it hopefully manifests into someone going, that was, way more than i expected um and i and i hope that is the case with everything that we do it's it's always going to be like this process of can we over deliver based off of their preconceived expectations and if we do that every time man we'll have repeat customers and tom platts that's the bodybuilder from the 80s and 90s right uh, i would say even earlier 70s Best yeah, of the yeah, yeah 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 it's 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 truly remarkable um if you if you guys ever really want to get into some like weird uh i think everyone should read it should be prerequisite but get into the subculture of you know physical health or physical culture muscle smoke and mirrors volumes one and two and three uh muscle town usa the story of york barbell uh doug hepper and strong you know these are all like seminal books that go through just the history of this and like you know, like everything reincarnates itself, everything's cyclical. But where I find really special about these books is like these guys were doing this stuff when it was taboo, when it was counterculture. You know, like if you're a punk rock fan, like, you know, you hate your, you love your band until they go mainstream. Right. And then this was a lot of ways of like, you know, strength and conditioning or the physical culture is like, these folks are the weirdos. These folks are the ones that want to develop health and saying something, physical exercise and developing your body along with your mind are, you know, like just selfish traits, right? Like in the 50s, 60s and 70s, these were vanity things. These were, you know, things that were not conducive to what the environment wanted, right? So, you know, like you read stuff about Tom Platt, you read even earlier, like Bill Starr and all these other amazing, brilliant people, weird, eccentric, no doubt about it. The story is compelling enough on its own, but you start to realize of like, it's not paying homage. It's not paying tribute. It's the appreciation that what you have right now is the product of what these folks were willing to go through. And, you know, maybe it is, but you know, on the other sense, it's like, I'd be damned if I make the same mistakes they made because I didn't want to read about it. But two, you know, this whole level, like you read Anthony DeTillo's like 
must are it's like the weirdest word, like most nebulous names but like or i'm not sorry like nondescript names but it's like development of muscular size and bulk you know it's just like a it's a funny name but it's like a 100 page book and like you talk about the best description of progressive overload i've ever read in my life better than nsda is better than everyone else like this is a guy literally in his basement electrical engineer or mechanical engineer just going and lifting weights in his basement by himself you know and like you can you know you can go to like you know cubic and dinosaur training and stuff like that but like you can get a little deeper and find some folks that you know man like were profound and then as you go through muscle mentorship like you know, like maybe we're standing on the shoulder of giants or maybe this is the way it should have been all the way through. Right. Like, you know, and it's going to resonate with some like, right. Like if we look at, if you look at this, like fat tail representations in either end, like hundred percent of the people are going to want to do very low threshold, very low intense things. And, you know, guys that as a, a good way to exercise, very few people on the other side of this fat tail representation are going to want to do this level of intensity and threshold or be that challenged, you know? So, with that being said, if there's a hundred people, we just want 10 really, really important, really dedicated, like interesting, curious folks out there to come in here and do this. Um, and depending on where you're at bandwidth wise, like it's, you know, we've had people who like literally current members are just gen pop people who are just fitness nuts. We've had people who are like high level strength conditioning professionals, had strength coaches and whatnot. Like, do you have this like, you know, continuum? And like, my job is to not, water it down for this guy to understand you know and i always look this approach from training and life and everything like this no child left behind concept i look at it as you give them what you got and you focus on the top level person and then let that person struggle to get through because if they really wanted it if they really wanted to learn this if they really want to push through they'll find a way if they don't move on I, i'm not worried about you you know like that that challenging the top student in the room like that that pushing the envelope with that person that is already really knowledgeable and really skilled and like looking at that person as setting, pulling everyone else forward, you know, and I think in training, I think in life, I think, you know, like this, this approach of like softening it up based off everyone being successful. Like it's not real, you know, it's not tangible. Like, you know, when you, you want to create a, a, a environment of high performance, it's looking at the outliers and creating the laws around those folks. And that's what I think muscle mentorship really embodies. When we look at our general training, that other 80% in the middle of like, we want to be pushed. Uh, we just don't want to get throttled, right? Like I did it in September. Uh, I did my testosterone before, which is right around 750. And now afterwards it was 350, you know, my free, what dropped down 90 points. And it's, I think a culmination of everything COVID related going into that. Um, and just, it was just me, Sean Hayes and my other business partner, Cody Ramos. And, um, we pushed it, man. We did not hold back. And it was, it was out of body some days. Right. And it was just like, I didn't know where I was. And like, I mean, it was really, really hard, you know? And to that point of like the reminder of taking myself to that, it's not a scaring someone. It's not like, Oh man, you're going to crush you. You're going to, you have your governor, like your central governor set. Like it is what it is. Like Tim Noakes taught us that a long time ago, but where we look at muscle mentorship, I've done this. Sean Hayes has done this three years in a row. Like I've done this now. It's to be my sixth cycle of doing something like that. I've done two a day training for a while in my life, but not this concentrated, like overreaching block, you know, like the more times I do it, man, the more it kicks the shit out of me. And like, 
you know, every once in a while I want that, not all the time, you know? So I'm like, 80, I'm in that 80%. Like I'm just going to train three days a week and I'm going to focus on good mobility and good health and all that other stuff. But, you know, just to remind myself of like, all right, this is now that upper threshold of training that you could hit. And that's where I think it is. Team Builder is the premier strength and conditioning app for teams and private facilities. Used by more than 2,500 organizations around the world, performance coaches can write training programs online for athletes to access on their mobile app or on tablets in the weight room. You can even print individualized workout cards of your programs directly from their systems. Right now, when you start a 14-day trial, use promo code CHALK, that is promo code C-H-A-L-K, to access more than 70 strength and conditioning programs directly in your Team Builder account, including four sports science questionnaire templates. Today, coaches from around the country use Team Builder's built-in questionnaire module to create COVID-19 pre-screening questionnaires sent to athletes daily. We've been using Team Builder at MSU Denver for several years now and cannot recommend them enough. Hewitt and his staff go above and beyond to help create an outstanding user experience for all the teams they work with. I have yet to run into a type of periodization or programming format that the staff at Team Builder cannot tackle and create. From asking around, it is clear more college and high school strength coaches use Team Builder more than any other training program available. Go to teambuilder.com and check them out. The Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0 podcast is brought to you by Play. Listen in on a conversation with Play's Global Director of Performance and Education, Coach Mike Buley. Coach Buley describes the vision of how Play will continue to be the company that will propel the innovation of the strength and conditioning profession forward. Well, after 22 years of, of coaching, I've learned that connection trumps communication and that it's not enough for coaches to know that you care. And I think you got to take that step further. They need to experience that you care. And I've always been a coach that tried to be more uh, transformational than transactional. And so with that awareness in mind too, I always enjoyed working and learning and talking to other people and, and coaches and developing that camaraderie. I've always made myself available to the community because I remember how hard it was too to try to get a crack into this this profession. And uh, I promised myself if ever I was given a shot, I would never take advantage of that. I always allow myself to uh, help other people uh, chase their dreams in this profession. It's been very good to me. Play is a company that will help your strength conditioning program find solutions for all your needs. Review second best and check them out at play.us for more information. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you to our great guests for taking the time to share their experiences. Thank you to Play and Team Builder for being great companies that help our profession. And most importantly, thank you, the listeners. Please find us on social media at Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Find our show notes on wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a rating, comment, and subscribe. And don't forget to say hi. It's great to hear from coaches from around the country. Talk to you all next week on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0.